Well, again, I want to welcome you this morning to the White Oak Faith family. Again, my name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And I'm so glad that you have chosen uh, to worship with us this morning. I believe that God has a lot to speak to us this morning, and I have a lot to say. And I hope that you come with open hands and open hearts, ready to receive the good word of the Lord in your life this morning. Uh, what I want to do, uh, kind of before we get into it, is I want uh, us to kind of discuss and think about a statement. I'm going to put a statement on the screen, and I want you to decide whether or not you agree with this statement, or whether you disagree with this statement, or maybe you're somewhere in between. And I want you to take a moment, I'm going to give you a moment to kind of discuss this with your neighbor. I want you to share with your neighbor, do I agree with this? Do I disagree with this? And I know if you're an introvert in here this morning, I'm an introvert as well. If you don't want to discuss with your neighbor, you can just reflect on it quietly because that's what we do as introverts, right? But let's take a moment to reflect on this statement. And the statement is, we always obey that which we desire the most. We always obey that which we desire the most. So I want you to take a moment, discuss with your neighbor. Do you agree, disagree, or are you somewhere in the middle? And I give you permission to talk. It's okay. You can talk during this session. Give me about 30 more seconds to discuss that. Why or why don't you agree with it? All right, so as we wrap that up, regardless of whether or not you agree completely with that statement, it's hard to deny that there is a connection between what we do and what we desire. That there's a connection between those two things. And if there is a connection between what we desire and what we do, that's bad news. (laughs) I'm sorry this morning, that's really bad news. Because when you look at the Bible, one of the, the theses of the Bible is that our heart, what decides what we do, our heart, our inner self is broken. Like Our motivations and our desires and our aims and what we want to do, there's like faulty wiring in our heart that leads us away from what God wants us to do. It's a few examples in Scripture of kind of what this uh, this kind of concept. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The book of James, which is uh, my namesake, it's in the New Testament, says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? So there's this connection between our desire and what we do, what our actions that follow out of it. And that's not good news because our hearts are broken. Jesus said that the greatest commandment, when you look at all the Bible, he said the greatest commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. It's kind of hard to do when your heart is faulty. So because there's this sickness in our hearts, it means that we are prone to seek satisfaction. We're prone to seek after things that are not God. And I love what, um, I think it was Ezekiel. He wasn't a psychologist or anything like this. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. But Ezekiel had a tap on the human heart. He had a pulse on the human heart. And he says that the heart creates 
idols. That because there's this brokenness in our heart, our heart is constantly leading us away from the one true God and being satisfied in Him, in Him alone. So our heart is what uh, John Calvin, who was a theologian in the 1500s, would say our heart is an idol factory, always manufacturing lesser goods than God. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is kind of the great problem of the Bible. If you open up any part of the Old Testament, you're going to find the people of Israel struggling with this idea of idolatry. And some people think that idolatry is purely kind of an Old Testament thing that people struggled with. But I think what we're going to find this morning is that even we deal with what Martin Luther, another theologian, would call um, idolatry of the heart. Idols of the heart. And uh, I was joking with Pastor John earlier how I missed last week, but I caught the podcast. And he, I think the title of that sermon was Deny Yourself. And this morning we're talking about idolatry, forsaking idols to follow Jesus. And if this is like your second week here, you're like, man, like these people preach real. And I hope that you do recognize that we care about you. And not every sermon is hard hitting, but we do need to uh, preach the all of Scripture, right? We do need to come to these things and be changed by what Jesus is telling us. And so this morning, this just happens to be one of those hard hitting passages in the Gospels. So the story is about a rich young man. And you have probably heard this story before if you've been in church before, uh, usually uh, in relationship to a sermon on money, of which this is not, though we will talk about that. But this is a story about a rich man who encounters Jesus. And on the surface, on the outside of his life, it seems like everything's good. Right? You're going to find that he's like saying, I've kept most of the commandments. My life is pretty good. From the outside looking in, I'm pretty good in comparison to the person next to me. But what we're going to find in this story is that below the surface, below the surface, into this man's heart, there's a problem. And that problem is an idol. This man was holding on to something so tightly that it prevented him from following Jesus. I believe beneath every sin that we commit is an idol. Beneath every sin that we commit is an idol. And an idol, very simply, is anything or anyone in our life that functions in the place of God. Say that one more time. An idol is anything or anyone in our life that functions in the place of God. Right? So it can be a longing It can be a desire, it can be a possession, it can be a relationship, it can be a a hope that we have, but anything that we put in the place that God himself is reserved for becomes an idol in our life. And we're about to read that this man was face to face with God, right? He's face to face with Jesus Christ, and he walked away. He was face to face with God, and he walked away. Why? Because he already had a God. He already had a God, an idol that he was not willing to let go of. The older I get, the more that I'm learning in life um, that there are a lot of things in this world that pull us away from Jesus. There are things out there and there are things in our own hearts that are constantly pulling us away 
from what Jesus has for us, constantly pulling us away from wholehearted devotion to him. But I think this morning what I want to do is I want to cover three ways that we kind of get back to that place. And number one is we identify our idols. Number two is we forsake our idols. And number three, we follow Jesus. All right, number one is we identify our idols. And we're going to talk about how that's harder than we think. Number two is we forsake those idols. We have to lay them down at the feet of Jesus, but we don't stop there. The best part is we get to follow Jesus and we get him. So we're going to cover kind of those three things. And this is really, really important in your life because Jesus knows that when he's first in your life, that he brings about joy and peace and he brings about what he calls eternal life, abundant life. But Jesus also knows that when we worship something else, when we put something else in his place, that we suffer spiritual sickness and death. Psalm 135, I love how it says this. It says, those who make idols, those who worship idols, become like them. And idols themselves are dead. They don't bring about the life that God desires for us. And so we follow after them. We also become spiritually dead. And so this morning, unfortunately, the rich young man is a bad example, which, man, I I would hate to be in the Bible as a bad example. You know what I'm talking about? But he's in here as a bad example of someone who desired something more than God. And when when the time came for him to choose, he chose the thing. So let's go back to verse 16, and let's kind of dive into this passage, and and the, the words should be on the screen behind me. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, and he said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And I love that we're going to get into this. Man, he needs to listen to our Bold Gospel series, because uh, this is a terrible, terrible question. Let's go on, verse 17. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? This is Jesus talking back. There's only one who's good. And I think what Jesus means here is he's saying there's only God is the good that you're kind of talking about. He goes on, he's saying, if you enter life, keep the commandments. The man said to him, he's getting kind of snarky here. This is what I imagine. It doesn't say that. But he says, well, which ones? Which ones should I keep, teacher? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said to him, all these I have kept. In another, uh, trans- or another uh, Bible, uh, I think it's in Mark, he says, all these I have kept since my youth. And he says, what do I still lack? What I love about this story is it kind of reveals something about us. Uh, you ever known someone who maybe had an issue, maybe had a problem in their life, and it's evident to everyone around them, right, except for that person. I think we all know people like that. Hopefully I'm not that person for you. If I am, please tell me. But we all know people like that, and at times we all have issues like that, and that tells me something about idolatry and why it's so hard for us to understand and to recognize our own idols, and that's this. Pride hides idols and humility exposes them. Pride hides idols, and humility exposes them in our life. See, if our heart is sick, if our heart is dysfunctional, and Jeremiah even goes on and says our heart is deceitful, and if our heart is deceiving us, then that means that our heart is preventing us from seeing ourselves as we actually are. 
That's what our heart does. It prevents us from seeing ourselves as we actually are. The only way that we learn anything in life or about ourselves is if we go to Jesus in humility. This man ultimately walked away from Jesus because he came to Jesus with his hands full of accomplishments. What he had done, what he had accomplished. Look at the sentence. Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? You know how they say, like, there's no stupid questions. This is a stupid question right here, I think, in my opinion. First, he starts out with teacher. After everything Jesus had done, he cannot give Jesus more than the word teacher. He's like, all right, I see you as an example. You're one of many teachers. I'll take what you say, but I'm going to decide ultimately what I take and what I leave. So he starts with teacher, right? And he says, what good deed must I do? So obviously, he's his own savior. He's the center of his world. He's like, I'm good at doing good deeds, right? And so what other good deed can I do to, in- to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus mentions just some of the commandments. And he's like, well, I've done all these things. What else can I do? And I think what we're seeing here is that this man's pride is keeping him from recognizing what is keeping him from Jesus. Pride hides idols and humility exposes them. The crazy thing about idols in our life, be it they a thing or a person or an idea or an image of our life that we want, the problem with idols is they don't jump up and down and say they're idols, Right? It's like, I'm an idol, I'm an idol, right? Look at me. Like, I feel like if it, that were the case, it'd be much easier to forsake and to expose them. But they don't. They hide by other names. I love this. Uh, one writer wrote a blog um, entry, and uh, he was speaking as if he were an idol, right? So it's kind of poetic. He's speaking as if he were an idol. And I'm going to read just some of it to you. Imagine this is what our idols tell to, uh, tell to us. He says, I'm, I'm whatever you want me to be. I'm what you think about while you drive on the freeway. I'm your anxiety when you lay your head on the pillow. I'm where you turn when you need comfort. I'm the future you cannot live without. When you lose me, you're nothing. And when you have me, you're the center of existence. You look up to those who have me. You look down on those who don't. You're controlled by those who offer me. You're furious at those who keep you from me. When I make a suggestion to you, you're compelled. When you cannot gratify me, I consume you. No, I cannot see you, hear you, or speak back to you, but that's what you like about me. I'm never quite what you think I am, but that's why you keep coming back. See, pride says I'm smarter than my heart. Pride says, I'm smarter than my dysfunction. I don't need anyone, least of all Jesus, to tell me what's currently dysfunctional in my life. But humility cries out in prayer with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the path everlasting. Pride hides idols and humility conceals them. So if we're ever going to get a handle on the idols in our life, we have to come to Jesus in humility and recognize that there's probably something dysfunctional happening in us right now. Let's go to verse 21. 
Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, this is his response. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the man uh, heard this, he went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, one of his most well-known sayings, uh, he says, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so this tells me something about Jesus. The first part told me something about that man. He had pride in his life. But this tells me something about Jesus. It said Jesus is on a mission to expose our idols. Jesus is on a mission to expose the idols of our heart. And Jesus is going to go through what I call Jesus' idol test. He didn't say this, but I think this is Jesus's idol test. This is how I would sum it up. If you can't give it up, you haven't laid it down. If you cannot give it up, you have not laid it down. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think in that moment, he probably knew his idol, right? Jesus cut to the heart. In that moment, he knew his idol. But it wasn't enough. He knew that Jesus knew his idol, but it wasn't enough. He was not willing to give it up. He was not willing to forsake it. And people get hung up on this passage all the time because they think, you know what? Jesus is calling me to sell everything I own. I cannot be a follower of Jesus until I sell everything I own. And there's actually some people out here, out there who teach that you cannot fully follow Jesus until you do that. And so uh, you got to remember this morning is that Jesus was talking to a specific man. And we get a window into this conversation between Jesus and his patient teaching with this man and this man wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus. And, And in his case, yes, money had become his idol. And so Jesus was pointing that out to him, saying, you know what? Go sell everything you own and come follow me, and then truly you will have laid it down. Is Jesus calling you to sell everything that you own? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. He might be. I think it's easy to forget that our basic standard of living is light years ahead of this rich young man. I mean, this is first century Palestine, right? No running water, no toy, nothing like that. So we are clearly richer than even, than, even this man was in this passage. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, Jesus warns people far more about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for any one of us. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it's not a problem for them. And that's partially, I believe, why the Bible commands us over and over again to give to the poor and to give back to the work of the local church. And we call that here a tithe, where we have a time, even during our, during our service, where we take up tithes and, and offerings. And I think part of the reason why God wants us to do that is because it's showing that we're laying these things down, that money is not my God. And whenever my wife and I give back toward this church, even every Sunday, it's like saying, Lord, money's not my idol. Lord, you, you ask for some of You own all of it. You only ask for some of it. I want to lay some down at your feet. And so there's this process that happens as we follow in faith and as we give toward uh, the work of the local church and we give toward the poor where like God is literally killing the idol of money in our lives. 
So there's this moment where we cast down our idol of money. And so any one of us can fall into this trap of greed. And God does amazing things when we lay down our resources for the work of the gospel. And so, yeah, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the means to give back some to the work of the local church or to the poor, God calls you to do that as a way to sanctify you, but also as a way to advance the gospel. Don't get it twisted. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the sneaky thing about idols. When you have to make a choice, they find a way to make you choose it instead of God. What's your thing? Maybe it's not money, but what is your thing? What can you not give up? What do you keep finding yourself going back to? I did some soul searching this past week, and I, uh, I sat outside uh, when it was a little bit cooler. I was sitting outside uh, in our apartment complex and kind of watching people drive by and walk by, and I had my journal out, and I was just asking God that question. You know, sometimes we're like, God, you know, we ask God prayers, and He doesn't answer the prayers. I'll tell you one prayer that He will answer. God, reveal my idols. Man, they, man, they started pouring down on me. And, and I'm going to get a little vulnerable here because, uh, so, so bear with me. Uh, this is uh, a, literally a journal entry from my, uh, from my journal from this past week. And uh, I'll just be vulnerable. I'm a work in progress. And so uh, this is one of the things I recognized was my idol. I wrote, perfection is my idol. I recognize that I've never fully loved myself. I've never fully loved myself because I can never live up to the perfect image that I created of myself. This belief has shaped the way that I see God, and it has shaped the way that I believe God sees me, myself, and others. I'm slowly laying it down in exchange for the love and acceptance that God offers to me. I can only love God as much as I am sure that he loves me, and I can only love my neighbor if I first love myself. Because of Jesus, not perfection, I am loved by God. I am accepted by God. I am valued by God. So I'm recognizing this in my heart this desire to please God, this desire to please you as the flock of this church, the desire to please Pastor John, the desire to please my my wife. I have this deep within me, this desire for perfection. And I realize that in many ways I have become my own idol. And that's not what God says about me. What's your thing? Is it marriage? And I remember when I was single, oh man, did I idolize marriage. I prayed night after night after night, God, why don't you give me this thing? You gave it to everyone else around me. Why have you not given it to me? Then you get married and you realize, oh, this is hard work and it's not perfect. (laughs) But even in marriage, maybe your thing is a perfect spouse. Why is my marriage disappointing me? Why is my spouse failing me? I think the reason is we love the image that we created of a spouse and not our actual spouse. I don't have kids, but I've heard children can be an idol. You want their success, their obedience, their admiration. If you don't get it, you're not right. You long for those things. Idols can be the city you long to live in. It can be the recognition or attention that you crave from others. 
got to be making people laugh, got to be the center of the attention, otherwise you don't feel whole. It can be some past uh, event or some glory from your past, your career, your attractiveness, how you look, whatever it is. Jesus is on a mission to expose those things and reveal them for what they actually are. Good things, but not God. Only God can satisfy in the way that our heart needs to be satisfied. Nothing can masquerade as God forever. Ultimately, it will be revealed as an idol. Let's look at the next part. When the disciples heard this, this is verse 25, they were greatly astonished. And they said, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I love this. Uh, This is a hard passage because Jesus, first of all, was willing to do two things. I think first he was willing to let this guy walk away. Like that's, that kind of scares me a little bit. Jesus is willing to let you walk away. He's willing to let you choose your idol that you worship. He's willing to let you do that. But he's also willing to change your heart. He's also willing to overcome idols by giving us himself. It's one thing to identify the idols in your life, but it's another thing to overcome them. And I think that's where Peter's response is coming out of. Who then can be saved? They heard this great teaching, and they're like, man, we, we can't even live up to that. And I think in this, Jesus is saying, I make it possible. I give you myself. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 uh, is a pretty well-known verse. And I love this verse because it kind of hits at the heart of idolatry. God, speaking through Jeremiah, says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, which is just a well, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So there's two sins in idolatry. One is we forsake Jesus, who's the source of all life, all joy, all goodness, all peace, all security, everything that is good. We leave that, forsake that, for something that will not ultimately satisfy us. And so we dishonor God, but we also bring hurt on ourselves. And I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you know what, I know that you have these longings in your heart. I know that you have these things that you set up as idols, but the answer to the idol problem is to not give you more of the idol. That doesn't make sense, right? The answer to the idol problem is not to give you more of that thing or even to fulfill that thing. But actually, Jesus is saying that there's actually power in taking things away so that we recognize that Jesus is all that we need, right? They say that Jesus, uh, you don't recognize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes he does that. But discipleship is this process where Jesus continually gives us of himself and shows us that he is the only one who can adequately fill our hearts. And I'm going to talk here in a moment about how worship is a powerful way that we overcome idols in our life. But I'm going to leave that as a teaser for a second. Let's go on verse uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 27. It says, And Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and have followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus goes on and he answers some of these benefits that come with following him. And I think what Jesus sums up here is that Jesus is saying, it's worth it. Right? Because I love Peter. I feel like if I were in the Bible and I were one of the disciples, I would probably be Peter, right? He speaks his mind. He speaks out. He wants to know these things. And Peter sees this encounter between Jesus and this man. And I feel like Jesus is asking, "Uh, Jesus, 
is it really worth it? Right? Jesus, is forsaking everything and following you really worth it? And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're looking into becoming a follower of Jesus, I think this thought is probably going to nag in the back of your mind from time to time over the course of your life. You're going to question yourself, was it really worth it? Is following Jesus worth forsaking everything else? And I think what Jesus is saying, yes, it is worth it. Following me is worth it. We talked about before um, that idolatry really comes from a divided heart. Idolatry comes from broken desires that lead us kind of in two different directions. And we talk about discipleship during this series. It's all about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And I think one of the reasons why we do discipleship, one of the reasons Jesus calls us to follow him in the school of discipleship is that it leads us into an undivided heart. The result of discipleship over the course of our lifetime, and it will be perfected in heaven, but the goal is to have an undivided heart that worships Jesus alone. There's this process that's happening in us where Jesus is ridding us of these over-desires, or ridding us of these things that we think that we need in order to be happy. Look at the Old Testament Israel and their problem with idolatry. And their idolatry led them into all kinds of problems. Split the kingdom up, led them to be captured, led them into all these bad things. And I love how Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And I think a heart divided against itself cannot stand. Psalm 86 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I think you know when you've stopped following an idol and started following Jesus, when you finally have rest. When I have anxiety, when I have stress, when I have issues with control, I know that I'm not following Jesus. When you're stressed, you're worshiping the God of outcomes. When you're anxious, you're worshiping the God of control. When you're addicted, you're worshiping the God of substance. And idols never let you rest because you need more and more and more than you think you're consuming them, but they're consuming you. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I've done the great work on the cross. Very quickly, um, before we close, very quickly, three questions, three heart questions for you if you're probing your soul, trying to figure out what are the idols in my life? What do I need to repent and forsake in order to follow Jesus? Very quickly, the three are, what do you feel entitled to? Whose performance matters? And where do you find refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, and security? And I found these on a really good website, and it helped me work through kind of my own idols. And I love the first one. What do you feel entitled to? And I think from time to time, it's good to ask God questions like, what if you did take this thing away? This thing I love, this thing I cherish so much, what if God took it away? Do you only follow Jesus because he gave you this thing? And as soon as that thing goes away, then you eject from following Jesus? Number two, whose performance matters? 
Is it my own performance? Is it my spouse's performance? Is it my children's performance? Or is the performance Jesus and him alone, and that's enough for us? Or where do you go to for escape? Show me where you go to to escape, and I'll show you where your God is. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. So as we draw to a close, um, we started with this idea that there's a connection between what we desire and what we do. And we talked about how idols really abuse the dysfunction in our heart because our hearts are sick, and idols abuse that, and they lead us to do things and to trust in things and to have motivations that don't honor and glorify God. And so we have to enter into this process in our lives in which we continually do three things. We're identifying the idols in our life, and that comes through prayer. Right? We're asking the Lord, search me, God. God, I'm not going to assume that there's no dysfunction in my life. I'm not going to be prideful like this young man, Lord. I'm going to assume that I, I, I need things for, that you have to teach me and shape me and grow me in. So we're identifying the idols through prayer. We're forsaking them through repentance. We see them as the counterfeit Jesus substitute lesser good that they actually are. We're agreeing with Jesus that our idols cannot save, our idols cannot satisfy, and our idols will ultimately leave us out to dry. Thirdly is the best part. I I love this part. Jesus didn't just say, sell all your possessions, give to the poor. What do you say at the end of it? Come follow me. Come experience life with me. Come learn under me and I will give you rest and life and and peace and security and all these things that you're longing for. But we can't have those on our own. I think one of the best ways to overcome idols in our life is true, passionate, don't care about people around me, worship. I think worship, singing, reading the scriptures, but exulting in the truth of God is idol killing. No idol can withstand what happens. And you're singing to God with abandon. Because in that moment, you know that they're not worth it. So I guess that's my exhortation for you as we close. Don't settle for the lesser thing. Don't settle for the lesser thing. Go to Jesus. Lay it down before him pick up something better. That's the message of the gospel. Pick up something better. And we all have those things. And Jesus, over time, reveals those and allows us to forsake and to find true life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for for the great work that you've done. For what you've done on the cross to defeat the power that sin has over us you've raised us into new life with you, Lord. And I just pray for each and every person here, Lord, that you might reveal to them the idols of their heart. And I don't know what those are, but you know. 
And I ask that you would continue to reveal the idols of my own heart and that collectively we would just lay them down and pick up what is good, which is you. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.